My name is Olga Morales-Pate. I am the CEO at Rural Community Assistance Partnership, RCAP, and you are listening to the Water Values Podcast. The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations, by Black & Veatch, Building a World of Difference, by Trinex, Trust in What's Next, by Mentor APM, Intelligent Asset Management Software, Built for Water, by Woodard & Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services. By Intera, innovation and stewardship for a sustainable tomorrow. By Xylem, let's solve water. And by the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. This is Session 246. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. Well, I hope everyone's getting settled in for a great Thanksgiving in the States and that you have a very happy Thanksgiving at that and that uh, you have a very happy holiday season to go along with it. We have a terrific show for you today. Mentor APM's Tacoma Zach is back for another great interview. He uh, Tacoma was on a little over a year ago, uh, and he is back, and he is just as awesome, and he's got a great way to describe important things in asset management, as I'm sure you all know. He is energetic. He is has a just, a, like I say, a great way of, of getting his points across. It's always great to speak with him, and you're really going to enjoy this interview. He's got some valuable information to share. As you know, we always say thank you to our fantastic sponsors at the top of every show. The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by Black & Veatch, Trinex, Mentor APM, Woodard & Curran, Intera, Xylem, and the American Water Works Association. And that, my friends, is a terrific collection of impactful companies that have decided to support water industry education and thought leadership. And I thank you all, and I'd like for you, if you would, please, to do me a favor. If you work for or with any of those sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at the sponsor firm and let them know that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. That little note of thanks will go a long way, believe me. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, hey, why not leave a rating interview on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, or whatever other directory you access the podcast on. It'd be greatly appreciated and, of course, helps others find out about the podcast. And also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Yes, the all-important subscription. I hear those things are important. Now it's time for the main event, the interview with Tacoma Zach of Mentor APM. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Tacoma, welcome back to the Water Values Podcast. Great to have you on. How are you doing today? Uh, we're doing really well. Thank you very much. We enjoyed our last session, and we're really looking forward to this one, too. Yeah, I, I am as well. Uh, so if you want to hear about uh, Tacoma and what he's been doing, you can refer back to uh, the episode that was released on October 18th, 2022 of the Water Values Podcast and check out uh, what Tacoma is, the background for Tacoma. Uh, but absent that, you know, Tacoma, what do you have any updates? What's been going on the last year in your life? Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for asking. So we've been really busy. Um, we've uh, found that we are getting increasing traction, not only with the solution, because the value proposition seems to uh, is, is really being uh, recognized by by the industry. 
Um, but I think the biggest news is uh, that we recently announced that uh, we uh, took an investment from uh, Emerald Technology uh, Ventures. And um, we're really thrilled about that. Uh, they're highly selective. Uh, they really believe in our value proposition and in our technology, and we just consider that privilege. Uh, the other real big thing is is that uh, we have just recently announced that we have invited Colby Manwaring, uh, formerly of Innovise, who led Innovise as CEO there and was also at Autodesk and architected that um, that um, uh, purchase. Uh, we've invited him to become chairman of our board, and he has graciously accepted. So we are just really excited to be working with somebody who is that experienced and uh, has that kind of acumen about our market. So we're looking forward to that value added to us. Yeah, that that, that is big news. That is, and congratulations, by the way, on uh, the uh, the Emerald investment. So that is that is fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah, we we we're uh, we're just uh, looking at pinching ourselves. Something like is <laughs> is this real? <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's great. That that really demonstrates that uh, what you've been doing is uh, does have that value add uh, to utilities. So let's let's start building on what we talked on last time. Um, I want to talk about, I mean, obviously mentor APM asset management software. Um, and I I'd like to discuss kind of the, the next steps for how, how, cause I'm going through this myself with some clients, uh, in terms of figuring out how do you prioritize what assets need to be replaced? So can you kind of give us, you know, level set things for us here and give us kind of uh, uh, a, a baseline for discussing or looking at the problem of prioritization. Excellent question. And, um, you know, as I was thinking about this and as we've refined uh, our approach, uh, not only to the water, wastewater and industrial sectors, but we realized, you know, this is actually the set of principles involved is really applicable to almost any industry and almost uh, even if you're looking at service industries, so um, when we talk about uh, making priorities, it's part of a holistic approach in asset management that we are not only a fan of, but that we really try to facilitate in, in our service offering, in, in our software. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, let's say uh, the international standard of this, because I've got a lot of friends in and I participate also in the ISO uh, 55,000 um, contributions, the various technical groups. But there are some principles and some guidelines in there that really, if, if you even just go after that and look for the low-hanging fruit, it really makes it um, very accessible. It isn't rocket science, and it's actually very, very doable. So, you know, when you're looking at utilities, for, for instance, and even by the question, like, how do you prioritize? That implies that some things are more important than others, and that you know, not everything is equally important. So how do you actually begin to discern or decide or and, and come to terms with how, what is actually the most important thing for my utility or my, my industry or my facility um, or maybe my horizontal network? If it is that you're doing sewer collection or water distribution, you may not have a plant. And everything really goes back to what is the reason why the assets exist? Well, if you're talking about a municipal context, the assets exist in order to either take wastewater and do something with it or to uh, clean up source water and deliver it to, to the customers. And, you know, when we talk to uh, our customers and what we always go back to is like, like, where's the charter that originally made it legally viable, 
um, for a, a public entity to spend money and build these assets. So there's something's obviously been written down someplace saying, hey, these assets belong to or belong, it's going to be managed by this particular agency. And they're there designed to do X. And that's often called what we call a uh, minimum level of service. And I'll just, just pause on that one for a second. Often when we get our customers and their boards to dig this stuff up and um, say, well, what are you really tasked with doing? Because you've got all these great ideas. You want to do all these you know, lovely things. But what are you really required to do legally? And when we pull this up, they hear minimum level of service kind of for the first time. And they think, oh, well, well that's the floor. You know, well, we don't want to be minimum. We want to do better than minimum. And we always have to correct them and go like, well, wait a second. I think you've got the wrong idea. Minimum level of service isn't how much you can get away with. It's actually aspirational. It means you need to hit a set of targets of cleanliness of the water, you know, water purity, water quality, water uh, rate, pressure, that sort of thing. Um, and on the converse with the wastewater, you know, you have to be able to take it and you've got to be able to clean it up sufficiently and discharge it at, at certain levels. You can't, you know, break the law and you can't put dirty water into the rivers. So we get them to clarify this and begin to realize, ah, this is what's called a minimal level of service. This is what we have to do come rain or shine. And um, then what we do is say, okay, cool. Well, you all have um, values in your organization. And this is usually where it gets a little bit sticky. Um, there's lots of touchy-feely stuff. Well, we want to have um, superior water quality or we want to make our communities thrive. And we're like, okay, well, how do you measure that? You know, what is superior water quality? What, what does it mean that you're going to have the best water or you're going to have superior water? They use a lot of touchy feely things because it makes for political good press, but it's impossible to measure because what are you going to measure it against? So what we often do is say, okay, guys, what do you think about safety? Well, they tell us and we say, well, should everybody go home the same way that they came to work? And they say, well, yes, of course. Okay, cool. Well, so safety is really important. Well, let's talk about your safety program for a second. And how do we measure that? How do we measure on a daily basis that um, people aren't being put at risk? Um, and the same thing goes for the population, uh, for their stakeholders, They're the folks that are actually receiving the drinkable water, the potable water, and say, okay, well, you know, when we dig pipes up and we, we do this and we do that, how do we maintain that the people who are receiving our water, um, it stays at a particular level? Because we care about their safety. Um, and in fact, it's actually a public health um, issue or a lever. You know, without clean water, you have some serious public health issues. So when we, when we look at their minimum level of service, why is that agency even there? And what the values of their organization are, we often bring things into the equation saying, look, you've got disparate stakeholders here. You've got folks that have a lot of money. You've got folks that perhaps are in more challenging economic circumstances. You've got those gated communities and you have the the opposite end of the spectrum and you know water needs to be delivered to them well they're they're all stakeholders and those stakeholders of the population the rate payers um call them tax payers rate payers whatever you want the staff um and also the regulators they're all stakeholders so all those things need to come into a framework a matrix if you will and say okay well what do we actually mean by something that is a bad event in, let's say, safety or production or uh, environmental uh, regulation or environmental uh, damage? And uh, what is something that's a non-issue? And we have to appropriately scale those things. And so 
that is, in a nutshell, in a sort of summarized way, a way in which to begin to prioritize um, what you're going to do on a daily basis and what you're going to do, say, over the long term, is you have to take that input in from the rate from the from the various stakeholders, and you have to ask the right kind of questions to say, how can I measure that on a day-to-day basis? Because having something like, as I said before, um, you know, let's have superior water. Well, that's that's tantamount to meaningless. Yeah, I mean, when when you say that you provide a holistic solution, uh, it's not just the software. It sounds like the whole process, uh, getting folks to really think about the way their business runs and their their core mission uh, applies. Is it just it just sounds like something that uh, that all utilities should be doing? Um, how do utilities react when you start? asking them the, the questions. The yeah. No I, I get excited about this stuff. I've been a <laughs> practitioner in this area for, for the last, uh, uh, let's say 15 years and all. And, you know, we've lived the result. I used to, um, you know, manage the business for Veolia in the West. And, um, you know, we employed these things that we're talking about and saw massive tangible results at both economic and, and also in terms of operational um, security. So when we, when we discuss it with customers, you know, it's, it's usually because they're inviting us in and they recognize, look, we have to do way more with, with, with less resources and more constrained. Um, they're asking us to do more things. Um, obviously we can't keep shotgunning all the stuff. You know, we can't keep applying the same type of, in, uh, effort to everything because it's just not practical. And it can get kind of complicated unless you've sort of charted a sort of a path through this sort of thing. And so, you know, we always say to the, to the customers, look, um, let's ask some basic questions. One is, you know, again, what is it that you are, are there for? And, and why do those assets exist? And then when we talk about their values and we talk about safety, this and that, and we just start asking them s- simple questions. Well, like, w- what is your tolerance for, for risk? Well, you know, we ask simple questions like, well, would you be okay if somebody died on site? Well, the answer is obviously no. And then so, okay, well, what about, you know, what about if they broke a leg? Well, well, that's also no good. So we sort of get them to recognize, okay, look, it's not going to be a perfect world. It's not going to, it's unrealistic to think no one is ever going to get hurt because um, people lose their focus. And sometimes the unexpected happens that, you know, hasn't been foreseen. But we get them to scale what is um, something that is what they consider, well, we don't want this to happen. This is what we call a red uh, event. And, um, and then from that, you know, we sort of scale it backwards. And then when we look at their operations and we, we, we get them to actually look at their operations and we look at the various things that they care about. So it would be staff safety. It would be uh, customer safety, you know, wh- whom they're serving. Um, it would be also environmental regulations. It would be environmental uh, damage. And sometimes those are the same and sometimes they're different. It depends. And then, of course, we live in the world of, 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 of economic realities. And so how much does this particular uh, event cost us if it happens. So what's your tolerance for pain, basically? And so actually, if I summarize it, when you look at the categories that we end up having them settle on, and it is remarkable how without seeding um, their, call it their um, inclinations for what they think is valuable, we have yet to see a, 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 a um, municipal operation not consider staff safety, public safety, environmental, 
uh, regulations, environmental compliance, meaning you're not going to put sewage into the, you know, the, it's, it's one thing to say, Hey, we broke the law and put sewage in, but you know, it's another thing to say, we actually put the sewage in, look at the damage because you don't want that to happen, whether there's a law or not. Um, and, um, uh, how much it costs to run the facility. And then another one, which is PR, because one of the stakeholders is the boards and the people who actually look after this stuff. And you don't want to have your name in the paper. Um, you know, I'm sure there are careers that are no more of what happened in Flint, Michigan, um, apart from the absolute tragedy of what happened. Notwithstanding that, it turns out that PR and press and uh, is something that boards do consider. And what's remarkable as well, and, to, and this is important that I say this at this point, so there's no misunderstanding. 99%, 100% of the time, safety of the public and safety of the staff are number one, ranked the most important. And then, of course, how we scale those. And usually at the bottom, as as we end up sort of running through, uh, 90, almost 100% of the time, PR is at the bottom. It's a, it's a factor, but, you know, they recognize it's the least important factor. Um, they'd rather be in the press for overspending than for having had an accident. Um, and then um, operational concerns. So when we bring to light the reasons why they exist and the stakeholders and the service that they provide, then it's it's remarkable how the ranked order of importance is almost identical for everyone, as well as the topics. And and we don't see them. We basically have discussions with them. And it's, it's the beauty of an exercise that we provide, like, you know, we developed this over uh, 15, 20 years, is, is that uh, we facilitate and we ask them the questions that gives them the results that they're going to live with. They come up with the answers and the scaling and the, the factors that they consider important themselves. And that's really important because they then end up owning the results, which is, a, you know, we don't want to be the company or the, the software that comes in and tells customers, well, this is what you got to do. No, no, no. The customer has, they understand their risk. They understand their tolerance for risk and they understand, you know, how to elucidate it. It's just that there's a lot of confusion out there. It isn't that hard. You just have to have a little bit of guidance, some guardrails. And it's amazing how consistent and how um, uh, accessible the results end up becoming. And and our customers are always at the end of it going, like, this is awesome. And and I'll tell you a little, little bit later on about uh, the, the outcomes. But the, the short of it is, is that all this stuff ends up changing their asset strategies and it changes their capital plan for the next two years, which is ultimately where they want to go because they need to spend money on something. Why would they do a risk analysis and a critic and a, like I call it an essentials analysis or criticality analysis if they aren't interested in sharpening their focus? Everybody knows you can defer some stuff. Question is, is can you justify that deferring? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a great interest, you know, introspective look at, the, the utilities. What about the external factors, the stakeholders you mentioned earlier? How do you how do you kind of cultivate and get get consensus among a diverse group of stakeholders? Yeah, um, so it's it's uh, there, there are both internal and external stakeholders. So you know when we look at the external stakeholders, they are the ratepayers, there's the the population, and they're often protected by call it the regulations or the excuse me, the minimum standards, like the uh, the water quality, the water pressure, the water uh, volume that's available, you know, the hydrants, how many hydrants have to be open, uh, and at what pressure for how long, that's that sort of thing. Uh, the water storage, how long can, you know, all those kind of factors, those are usually codified somewhere. 
and that keeps the 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 call it at least on one level the external um, um, interested parties uh, protected. Um, but it's also brought in through the boards and public forums and um, uh, some past events. And the boards are often elected. And so they are the representatives of, in many ways, uh, the external stakeholders like, you know, the ratepayers and the, and the people who receive the benefits of the water, et cetera. So th- that's brought in. And then the internal ones, um, well, this is always really interesting. There's a lot of silos that happen internally. And what we often do is, say, look, when we do these analyses, when, when we facilitate, when we help you do these analyses, you need to have folks from operations, from maintenance, from uh, safety, um, there and even from management. And the reason is, is they all have their own sets of priorities. Maintenance wants to fix stuff and they want to fix stuff soon because they've been told don't let things, you know, uh, run down. Operations, they just want to keep things going because they want to always make sure that they're treating wastewater and they're never not treating wastewater. And they always want to make sure they're tr- making good water and never not make safe good water. But when you bring them in and you, and you know, the, the, the quandary is often, well, the maintenance says, well, I got to take this piece of equipment down and operation says, no, well, you can't because I've, I'm, uh, I'm maxed out right now. And we have, uh, it's a particular time of year. The water quality feed is bad and we need all the clarifiers up and running. And, uh, you know, all the chemical systems have to be up and running and, and just so, and so you can't have any equipment. You can't, you know, take it down. Um, and then, op- you know, maintenance goes like, well, if I can't take it down, then it's going to fail at some point. And there's constant, you know, back and forth. And they all think everybody thinks their own stuff is the most important. But when we bring them into the group and we get them to see, look, guys, this is we're all in the same boat. It's just you happen to be on the left side of the boat and the other guys are on the right side of the boat and we're front or the back or whatever you want to call it. Um, we all have to work together and in concert. And you need to understand the other's world, the other's priorities, but they also need to understand yours. And it's really and, and engineering needs to be part of this as well. I forgot, forgot the engineers. Um, what we've often seen at the end is when we do a debrief on these things is, is that. The different functional groups actually say that they didn't understand some of the priorities of, of the other team members um, in a different silo. And now they do. And those silos have come down. And we had one customer. They're just really, really bright um, utility and, and agency. And they're in the, in the Midwest. And, you know, one of them has even said um, this, what we did, this is the, um, is there it's their business model for asset management. And it's the notion of collaborative understanding between the different functional groups. And it's just been, it's been wonderful working with those guys and having watched them grow and mature. So, you know, bringing the folks together, having them discuss, having them recognize that when things have gone wrong, why they went wrong, who it impacted, how significant that impact was, and there's this wonderful thing I think about human nature is when we see someone else having been harmed or something else is 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 uh, not right, we often want to help fix that. And so the teams do end up recognizing each other's challenges and they do do a give and take and they recognize, yes, these assets are more important and those ones we can't uh, suffer any kind of loss out of. So when those are beginning to degrade, doesn't matter what's going on, we'll have to stage something, we'll have to do something else. I, I love the idea of uh, the 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 cross functionalization and the collaboration among uh, different as, different you know groups within the utility. How do you get how do you get everyone on the same page so that you're doing those projects so that it that it makes sense? I mean, we've all heard stories about 
and this this gets outside the utility, but right, like so the the municipality paves a new road, and then the utility comes in a couple weeks later and cuts it up and starts you know doing maintenance of its lines in that newly paved road. How, how do you get everyone kind of on the same page in terms of coordinating? Uh, yeah, what makes sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, again, that uh, that actually is directly related to who's all involved in the meetings, and if you're just dealing with you know, let's say a wastewater plant or a water plant or the the distribution network or the collection network. If you're just dealing with that side of the utilities, you're going to get a lot of coordination internally because you recognize um, the other's challenges and you are aware of the schedules. And so you can begin to sort of say, oh, okay, you know what? Uh, we know we're going to need something, um, but why don't we just do this in the summertime or in the springtime, you know, based on whatever local context and circumstances are, so that it's all ready and um, we don't have to mess with it. And as well, you look at it and say, hey, if we're going to dig something up, um, we know we're going to have to mess with that other piece of equipment over there or that other piece of pipe that's going to be hard to get to. So why do it twice? Let's just do it you know, in one shot. Um, when you're talking about, let's say, the roads department versus the, uh, the, the water department, the network, um, again, we would say if you, if you just take the, the, the approach and the analysis that we did and just expand the envelope and say, okay, now we're going to do this, not just within the water wastewater group. We're going to do this now within one or I should say two or three, um, different functional groups within a city or a town. So the roads department, they should actually be involved when you're talking about the horizontal network to make sure that the coordination is happening that, you know, if we're going to, re- re- put new pavement down on some of these roads. Let's wait a week or wait a year. Uh, and you guys take care of those pipes first that seem to be breaking a lot because you're going to be digging up those roads over and over and over again anyways. So it's, it's important to then coordinate across different uh, utility divisions. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome explanation. I really appreciate it. Tacoma. Um, so as, as we've got all that as background, let's, let's connect up the dots, how you, kind of get risk criticality condition all put together and and so that that utilities can figure out what they need to do as their next project what's how how do they create the the prioritization schedule um great question Uh, in fact you know this is often where uh these things end up um because they have these big levers on how you actually operate your facility and they help you do the right things to the assets at the right time so just sort of, you know, backing up when you, when you've done an, an, these analysis and you get the customers to view their, their facilities and their, their utilities through this matrix, what, what you'll end up coming up with is, is you'll come up with what is often termed of how a criticality ranker, how critical that equipment is. And, and that needs to be not just how to meet, maintain your level of service, but also these very important things about safety, safety of staff, safety of population and that kind of stuff. And the criticality, the degree of how critical something is, um, will determine how much effort you need to spend against that thing. Some things can never go down uh, without you knowing about it. They're going to have to go down because you've got to repair them. Um, but they can't go down without you knowing, and you may be even staging something to pick up the load while that piece of equipment's out. Way at the other end of the extreme, it's all the stuff that you can run to failure. You can defer, you, you know, just like light bulbs and that kind of stuff, and some other things, and some ancillary equipment. You can let it run to failure. You get to it when you get to it. So, that, so criticality really drives your strategies of how you're going to engage with an asset. Are you going to monitor it a lot so that you know exactly what's going on with it? And then you can begin to understand it's, it's headed towards failure. Something's degrading and you can intervene or the other end. On the risk side, it's a little bit different. 
um, is a little bit more complicated. We prefer to, when we discuss with customers, is to ground their risk in how often things have actually failed in the past and the significance of those impacts. And so we, what we refer to that as is, and accurately so, is endemic risk. In other words, this is the risk that exists today based on all the factors that go into it, the culture, the expertise, the money, all that sort of stuff, what the assets today pose risk to your mission, your, your level of service and what you're required to do. And it's very, very, it's very different. And you usually have to spend your way out of that by either staging something or redesigning something or spending money on, oh gosh, this is, you know, in a state of, of dereliction and we, we've got to fix something. And so that's a really important one to two year capital plan, um, focus. Then there's what we call dynamic risk. And that's the stuff that when you take this important equipment, this critical equipment, and it's going to go through its cycles of, of, of being in great shape and degrading. Well, that's sort of, it's, it's, the condition comes in on that asset. The condition begins to degrade. And depending on what's degrading inside that asset, it's either significant enough or maybe you can wait a bit. And that provides something what we refer to as dynamic risk. It's kind of changes on a daily basis, weekly, monthly kind of basis. And that means you got to go out and fix stuff. You got to go out and, and, um, look after. So if you've got this important pump and it's beginning to degrade, yeah, your risk is going up. You got to, you know, plan and, and fix it. But because your asset strategy was set by how critical that pump is, you've been monitoring it. You've been, you are aware of it and it's not going to catch you by surprise. So it's important to do these five to 20 year plans, which is like, well, we think our pipes are going to, you know, degrade at a particular rate and pipes, generally speaking, from the time that they're put in the ground, they fail at a glacial pace compared to dynamic equipment like pumps and valves and that sort of stuff, because they're under dynamic stress all the time. Whereas pipes and valves kind of sit in the ground, they have water running through them. And the, the, the way in which those things fail, we call them failure modes. It's a little bit slower um, and it takes time. And there's a whole bunch of technical reasons for that. And it's important to do that five to 20 year plan based on expected remaining life. But what's I, we believe equally, if not more important today is just to look at that endemic risk, which is like, where is our mission uh, at risk today based on the condition that we have and the, the experience that we have about our equipment that is, could literally put us on our, on our backsides in a month or two. And that means you could have something like the Flint, Michigan again. And that's really important. I, I realized there are some other factors and there were some decisions made in Flint. Um, but the uh, Kings County um, in um, Washington, you know, there was some equipment there that uh, wasn't paid attention to. And next thing you know, you've got a significant environmental uh, event taking place and a massive cost. So, again, that would be something that would be considered endemic risk. And, and, and the importance, I think, is there is that, as I say again, that your criticality is going to drive your asset strategies and what you're going to pay attention to and how you're going to pay attention to that. So you're doing the right thing to the right asset at the right time to get the right result. And your risk is broken, I believe, up into twos. You've got endemic, which is risk as of today with very short term based on your history. And then you've got your long term dynamic risk, which is you need to monitor and you need to plan appropriately for in the future. And eventually that moves into the endemic risk window, which is the one to two years. Yeah. I mean, that's a great way of looking at things. That is, I really like the framework you've laid out. Um, so Tacoma, this seems like the right time to kind of wrap everything up and put a bow on it. What, when, when you kind of look at, you know, step back and look at all this that we've talked about today, what, what 
kind of is your leave behind message as a result of, of this prioritization issue we've, we've been talking about. Oh gosh. (laughs) Well, one is I would, of course, uh, I would encourage um, every municipality, every utility to engage in a criticality and risk uh, study. You know, when we, when there is the requirement to come up with asset management plans in order to, uh, come to the trough for uh, capital appropriations, capital money, you know, from the federal and at the state level. Um, that's a good thing because it means you have to have a plan. You can't just, you know, keep on fixing stuff. But it's really important to have a targeted, focused plan that really zeroes in on what is important so that it's aligned with your overall mission and statements, um, as well as that, that the senior folks and the field level that there is absolute alignment between those priorities or uh, along those priorities between the, the, the senior management and the uh, call it the, the field staff. Um, so that every time somebody in the field is doing something, they're actually working towards securing those goals at that level of service. Um, so I would say, you know, I would also be careful doing the analysis, um, ask a lot of questions, um, there's a lot of ways to do it incorrectly, and there are a few really good ways of doing it. We believe we have one of the really good ways of doing it. Um, it's also been proven out in you know real dollar sense and real operational experience. Um, but I would say if you haven't done it, you probably need to go through an exercise of helping you prioritize um, and ask some tough questions. Wise words, and uh, I, I think they should be uh, – uh, taken up by utilities of course so well tacoma thanks so much for coming on it's always great to speak with you uh for those who want to find out more about you about mentor apm and your new uh investor emerald where can they go to get that um great question so mentorapm.com uh will take you to our website and there you can get uh papers and uh white papers and, and blogs and that sort of thing is also find out about the software and how we facilitate and support Holistic Asset Management. Thanks so much, Tacoma. Always great uh, having you on, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, David. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely. I did too. All right. Bye, Tacoma. Bye-bye. See what I mean? Tacoma is just a fantastic resource for the utility industry. He he just comes with that verve, that energy. Uh, I always love speaking with him, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and gleaned some great nuggets of information on the asset management front. As always, Tacoma, thanks for sharing your time and valuable insights. Really appreciated it. Well, I'd love to know what you thought about the interview. Please check out the show notes page for information and links on this episode. Just Google the Water Values Podcast. Click the first link that comes up. That's our home on the web uh, provided by Bluefield Research. Again, as I say every time, Bluefield and the Water Values LLC are not affiliates. We just have a joint marketing arrangement. And as part of that, they give us a home on the web. So thanks, guys. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. You can sign up for the newsletter at the landing page as well. We shoot out the, the newsletter uh, whenever a podcast is released. So it's a, really, it's just twice a month, except uh, for one month in the summer where we don't publish. And so it's really just 22 newsletters a year and it's chock full of great information for you that hopefully uh, you can put to use. Well, again, thank you for tuning in. I hope you make it a great day. And again, have a fantastic Thanksgiving and a very happy holiday season. 
Plus, I want to give a huge thank you again to our sponsors. Sponsors of the Water Values Podcast for the calendar year 2023 include Black & Veatch, Trinex, Mentor APM, Woodard & Curran, Intera, Xylem, and the American Waterworks Association. This show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders. And thank you for tuning in and listening and again for subscribing to the Water Values Podcast. Your support is truly appreciated. I th- these uh, we're coming up on ten years here, and it is it's been amazing the friendships I've made and the people I've been able to speak with. Uh, it, I just feel so fortunate, and I, I I I owe that all to you, the listeners. So thank you so much. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource. So please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the water values podcast thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me well thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer i'm a lawyer licensed in indiana and colorado and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney client relationship with you or with anyone else Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.